morning, everyone. So good to see so many of you in the audience and so good to see so many of you online. Growing up in the Gleason household, we had a number of questions that were asked at the family dinner table, but one which is probably asked at many dinner tables is, how was your day? And we all would go around and tell how our day was, and my mom normally had one of two answers for us. Either it was chaotic or a slow news day. My mom is a lifelong journalist, and so a slow news day was literal for her. There's been a lot of news in the past couple of weeks. Anywhere from four to five major headlines on top of the coronavirus. That's a lot. This week alone, we have experienced one tropical storm and a Category 4 hurricane hitting the same area of the country. Jacob Blake, another black man, was shot by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Out of that have come more peaceful protests and more violence. There are raging wildfires across the West, and the Democrats and Republicans held their national conventions. It was not a slow news day. It feels like 2020 just won't stop. So what do we do? How do we respond? As Christ followers, when our old way of life feels completely stripped away from us, nothing feels normal, and common ground seems impossible to find. This sermon series we're in is challenging us to take a look at how we handle all that is swirling around us right now and invites us to give Jesus the space to shift our perspectives from our circumstances to him. In the past couple weeks, we have referred to this as a holy disruption. An interruption assumes that life will go back to normal. A disruption propels us to a new way of living, allowing God to work and move in and through us and the circumstances around us. The other side that Jesus leads us to isn't the easiest way, but it will align us with him and his work in the world no matter what we face. So we've taken a look at the other side of the pandemic, uncertainty, injustice, conformity, and this week, the aisle. Now, I want you to know two things up front. One, I'm not going to talk about what you should believe or not believe politically. I'm not going to tell you what I believe or don't believe politically. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for or what issues should be most important to you. I'm not going to rail on Fox News or MSNBC. And two, there is a lot to any and all of these topics that we have covered and will cover this week and next week. So just like what Emily said a couple weeks ago, this sermon on this topic is not all-encompassing. There is more conversation to be had, more resources to study, and more scripture to dive into. It's hard to have conversations around politics, policy, parties, and participants right now. It 
is hard. We are in a perfect storm of polarization, demonization, outrage culture, cancel culture, and a lack of social connection. How many of you, be honest, hope this topic comes up at the next extended family Zoom call or backyard barbecue? My guess is, is that the only people raising their hand are the people who miraculously live and belong to a family where everybody believes the same thing. That's not my family. So is there any hope? Is there any way to live in it, to care about politics and policy, to back a candidate and a party and still be a follower of Jesus and maintain relationships? with people who think differently than you do? Yes. Overwhelmingly, I believe the answer to that question is yes, but I also believe that during this firestorm, there is an opportunity for believers, for people who claim to follow Christ, to enter the conversation differently, to engage with a different posture, and to express a different attitude. And I believe scripture leads us there. Scripture guides us in the way of understanding. It helps us to see how we can be faithful to Christ, maintain integrity, and remain engaged in our world, even in the midst of chaos and craziness that is our current political climate. I believe there are three things, not only three things, but three things that will help us do that in the midst of this chaos and craziness of our current political culture, we as Christ followers are invited to enter the conversation differently. We're invited to engage with a different posture and we are invited to express a different attitude. Our speech, our posture, our attitude needs to reflect Christ always with other believers and non-believers. So we enter the conversation differently. The letter of James, written by Jesus's brother, is considered a how-to book on Christian living. James wants us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of it. He says in chapter 1, verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is how we enter political conversations as Christ followers. We are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you find yourself always ready with a rebuttal, a response, a reaction when talking about politics, my guess is that you didn't listen very well. Always having a reply means you're defending, not listening. Christ never took a defensive posture. He was passionate, but he was never defensive. I know how easily defensiveness can rise up inside of me. A tone, a quick remark, a cutting comment When I'm passionate about something or advocating for someone, it comes out of my mouth so quickly. It's like I didn't even think. 
Scott Sauls confesses that when defensiveness rises up in him, it reveals how little, he says, I actually believe about the gospel. Because Jesus never retaliated. Jesus asks us to enter in differently, to think before we speak. Your family, friends, coworkers, neighbors have ideas. They have opinions. They have perspectives. You might not agree with them, and that's okay. But to be Christ-like is to embrace people, to listen to people, to offer love in return. And that love comes through listening, asking questions, and withholding unrighteous anger. If you find yourself unable to speak without becoming angry every time you talk to a family member, or you find yourself unable to stop yelling at the TV every time you turn on the news, or you find yourself typing ferociously every time you get on social media, maybe it's time to take a break, to press pause and sit with Jesus, asking him to disrupt the way you've been speaking and to help you remember the totality each individual has as an image bearer of God so you can engage with them in a more holistic way, a more holy way. Use discernment and wisdom in deciding when to speak out and how to speak out. Use discernment and wisdom in deciding when to post and what to post. We don't always have to say something. The world our political system, they don't hinge on whether or not we speak up. We're not in this to overpower others or to destroy them. We can pause and breathe before we speak and ask ourselves if what we are about to say builds someone up or tears them down. Is it necessary to say? Will it enhance the conversation? Will it bring glory to God? Scott Sauls went on to say that if our faith ignites hurt rather than healing upon the bodies, hearts, and souls of people, even those who treat us unkindly, then something has gone terribly wrong in our faith. Being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry might be the major holy disruption God is inviting you into this election season. What if we, as Jesus followers, always listened first? What if we asked follow-up questions? What if we put the other person, whether we know them or not, first? What would that do to and within our relationships? What would that do to and within the collective rhetoric of our country right now? We can honor each other as fellow friends on a journey and realize that none of us have all the answers. We can listen with humility and take that step to admit that we could be wrong. The second invitation Jesus makes to us in the midst of the chaos and craziness of our current political climate is to engage with a different posture. Later on in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says, My brothers and sisters, do not assault each other with criticism. If you decide your job is to accuse and judge another believer, 
then you are a self-appointed critic and judge of the law. If so, then you are not, no longer a doer of the law and subject to its rule. You stand over it as judge. But know this, there is one who stands supreme as judge and lawgiver. He alone is able to save and to destroy. So who are you to step in and judge another? It has become apparent in much of society that we don't connect often with people who aren't like us anymore. And because of that, we have very short fuses when we do. It's as if we've thought out our side of the argument so well with our people that when someone different from us enters the conversation, we don't know how to listen or engage with their differing view. Walking away from them, criticizing them, judging them, and dismissing them is much easier. Did you know that in 1976, less than 25% of Americans lived in places where the presidential elections were a landslide, in counties where it was not a landslide. Brene Brown talks about this in her book, Braving the Wilderness. She says, in other words, we lived next door to and attended school and worshiped with people who held different beliefs than ours. In contrast, in 2016, 80% of the U.S. counties gave either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton a landslide victory. Most of us no longer live near people who are all that different from us in terms of political or social beliefs. When was the last time you genuinely got to know someone who didn't think like you, believe like you, or vote like you? When we don't, it becomes really easy to see ourselves as the great judge. It becomes really easy to criticize. It becomes easy to accuse and dismiss. I am grateful that our church represents a wide spectrum of political beliefs. I don't want us to all be the same. I know that's a lot harder. It means we have to take this seriously. We have to be intentional with our words, our postures, and our attitudes, but I think that's a good thing because it gives us an opportunity to rely on the Holy Spirit, to draw near to God, and to be a witness of unity in Christ to the world. In my own life, in just the past three days, I've had to come back to this text many times because of a conversation with a friend over a specific political topic. The conversation has been intense. So on Friday night, a timeout was called. And it was hard. I'm still fairly stressed and shaken over this conversation, and I'm pretty sure they are too. We are aligned at the core of this issue, but how it's lived out and the level of importance it should be in deciphering policy, well, we have different views on that. So I've had to come back to this text over and over because I can't just preach this on Sunday and not live it on Friday. It was a lot easier to sit in the judgment seat, to accuse and dismiss. So why would we offer acceptance when we disagree on an issue that feels paramount? 
Because the kingdom of Jesus is more important and his invitation to rest in him, mimic him, follow him, is deeper. Seeing past someone's stance or policy is crucial to engaging with a different posture as it relates to politics if you're a Christ follower. We've got to be able to see past the current decisions and look for the other person's story. You can't do this without being willing to listen to them. On the other side, we are invited to choose humility, to listen for the deeper meaning, to understand why they believe what they do. Believe me, I understand what I'm asking right now, what I'm saying right now. I understand what I'm asking from us and for us. I understand the divisiveness. I understand that for some people, this is life and death. And so I'm reminded of what theologian, pastor, and civil rights activist, Dr. John Perkins said back in the 70s. He said, yielding to God can be hard, and sometimes it really hurts, but it always brings peace. In the midst of the chaos and craziness of our current political culture, we as Christ followers are invited to enter the conversation differently, engage with a different posture, and express a different attitude. Romans 15, 5 through 7 gives us a glimpse into that when Paul offers this charge. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We have a bigger calling. Those of us who follow Christ have a bigger calling than being right or winning arguments or winning elections. We have been accepted. We have received grace. And because of that, we can now turn to others and offer that same, that same acceptance and that same grace in order to bring praise to God. We already belong to a kingdom. And while we live temporarily in this country, it is not our home, nor is it our primary allegiance. Our primary allegiance is to our king and his people. The Roman church, where Paul was writing this letter to, was a diverse community. It was made up of different races, rich and poor, strong and weak, so as Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, he is very aware of who they are and what they face with this benediction. He knew it was difficult for them to accept one another, but he called them to it anyway. Paul knew their foundation was deeper than their differences. He knew that they had the courage to live in patience and peace with one another because of the love of Jesus propelling them forward. Friends, this is what it comes down to. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, 
charity. I know there can be strong tensions among believers, and I'm grateful that there is diversity in thought and theology among believers. And I hope there will be acceptance in the name of Jesus Christ throughout this church and the larger body of Christ. The first sermon in this series left us with the question, what are you looking to solve your problems? Where are you finding hope during this time? We were reminded that Jesus stood on the shore in John 21 looking at his disciples, men who had gone back to their old way of life after Jesus died until he showed up again. He invited them to try a different way, to try the other side in order to find life. If you're thinking a political party or presidential candidate will answer all of your questions and solve all of your and our collective problems, you're going to be seriously disappointed. Whoever occupies the Oval Office come January 20th, whether it is next year or in four years or in four years after that, won't be everything that we need. He or she won't be able to fix everything we need fixing. So Jesus comes to us again and invites us to throw our nets to the other side. What does a holy disruption look like for you this election season? It might begin by confessing that the hope of the world is not found in a political candidate or party. It might be in extending a listening ear to the neighbor across the street who has the other candidate sign in their yard. It might be asking for forgiveness for a critique and then seeking to understand more. Ultimately, I hope that you will find grace and give grace. I hope that you will love anyway that you will listen intently, that you will refrain from speaking frequently, that you will pursue justice and peace, and that you will bear witness to the sacrificial love of Christ. Let's pray. God, this is hard. It is just hard. And some of these issues run really deep in our lives. But God, you are the great restorer. You are the one who builds bridges. You are the one who comes to us, who is able, who is mighty and powerful to save. And so because of that, Lord, we can cast all of our fears on you. You will carry them. You will help us to step into these conversations to have different postures and to live with different attitudes. God, may we be a people who wants that. May we be a people who lives that and loves each other well. In your name we pray, amen.